0: Today on High Point with Ron Zapia. It's absolute certainty. It's what God said will come to pass. It's bet the farm on it. This is absolute. There's not too many sure things in this life, but when we see hope referenced in the Bible or something that is hoped for, it's a sure thing.
1: Welcome to High Point with Ron Zappia. We're coming to you today from High Point Church in the Chicagoland area. I'm your host, Steve Smith, and today we're kicking off a new series called Unexplainable Joy. And Ron, uh, give us a little preview here. Where are we going with this series?
0: Well, Steve, we're diving into one of Paul's letters, his letter to the Philippians. And the reason the apostle Paul wrote this letter was to encourage the church. How? By focusing their minds and hearts on the joy that comes from God. Paul wrote the letter while he was under house arrest. Think about that for a moment. He was in difficulty. You'd expect Paul to be anything but joyful in this situation. But no, he was brimming with joy and he wanted the church that includes you and I to understand why.
1: All right, well, you got us hooked. We're opening up to Philippians chapter one as we begin our new series, Unexplainable Joy. Today's message is called The Reason for Joy. Here's Pastor Ron.
0: You may not be aware of this report. It's entitled The World Happiness Report. And what this does, it comes out every year and they rank countries, 155 countries, on their level of happiness. So they use six characteristics or six indicators to kind of rank where a country is and countries move up and down the ladder through the years the indicators they use are freedom generosity health social support income and catch this one trustworthy government that's where we're having a little issue right now But this study, it ranks them. Let me give you the top three countries that are the happiest in the world. Number one, Norway. Number two, Denmark. Number three, Iceland. Are we seeing a trend? I think so. United States is at number 14. In 2007, they were ranked at number three. It's fallen that much. I mean, Canada is ahead of us. Are you kidding me? It's an interesting study as we think about changing happiness in a particular land or in a country. But I don't want to talk to you about that today. I don't want to talk to you about changing a country and moving up the ladder. I want to talk with you about what you can change. How do you change the happiness of an individual? How can I remove the dark cloud, so to speak, and experience a greater degree of happiness in the circumstances that I control when things are out of control? Happiness. That's what I want to talk to you about. If you have a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're starting a new series. It's called Unexplainable Joy. This is the joy that comes from God. It's supernatural happiness title of the message is The Reason for the Joy, the reason we can have this joy as a follower of Christ. And I'm actually going to give you five reasons that we can be happy as we take a look at the first 11 verses, and we're going to identify five specific reasons why we can be happy. Before we start, and if you can get yourself to Philippians, that would be great, I want to answer um, the four W's about this letter. So I want to give you the background. Who wrote the letter? That's the first thing I want to answer. And maybe you've got a study Bible or uh, you could see some of these answers to yourself. But the Apostle Paul, he wrote the letter. Um, He wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament letters. He's often entitled and called the second founder of Christianity. That's the kind of impact that he had. When did he write the letter? Well, he wrote it in the late 50s or early 60s. We know that he wrote it at that time. This is one of the final letters that he penned um, to a church, and he was martyred in A.D. 65, so he sent this out right before then. Where was he when he wrote this letter? Many people um, may be aware of this, and again, if you've got a study Bible, you might see this. They're often entitled, this letter is thrown in with what's called the prison epistles. It's probably better to refer to it as the captivity epistles Because Paul was awaiting trial in Rome, and he was under house arrest. So he was in captivity. He wasn't in a jail cell, although it wasn't pretty what he was going through. He was awaiting trial. That's talked about in Acts chapter 28. Hey, why was this letter written? Well, give you the word, one word, joy. It's mentioned 14 times in this brief letter in four chapters. It's talked about five times as a noun and nine times as a verb, joy. He wrote it because of joy. The definition we've used before, I'll throw it up on the screen. We're going to continue to return to it in this series. Joy is a supernatural delight in the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. That's joy. That's what we're going after. That's what Paul was talking about. Interestingly enough, in this letter, many of the letters Paul wrote, especially first and Second Corinthians, he has a lot of sharp rebukes for the people. This one doesn't contain any rebukes. He answers a couple questions, but he's thanking them for their financial support and thanking them for the partnership that he has in the gospel. So let's begin. Five reasons. I'm going to pull them out of the text. Roll up your sleeves, we're going to go to work a little bit. Five reasons why I can be happy, I can experience joy despite the circumstances that I'm in. The first reason is found in verse 2. We're going to look at the introduction. It's the grace of God. I can be happy, I can be joyful because of the grace of Almighty God. Look with me at verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. We're at Philippi. And then he mentions two office titles. He says, with the overseers and the deacons. Look at verse 2. It says, grace to you. Underline that phrase. We'll come back to it. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and underline Lord Jesus Christ. Paul could have done this. He could have said, hey, greetings to you. He didn't say that. Many times in his letters, he says, grace to you. Why grace? Well, because that's his bent because that's what he's about. It's my bent too. Paul does this. Out of the 155 times in the New Testament that the word grace is used, Paul penned nearly a 100 of them. He's all about grace. What is this grace? It's the unmerited, unearned favor of God. It's like that gift that you get for your birthday or under the Christmas tree. Think about in Christmas, we give gifts. Why? Well, if you're a naughty boy or a naughty girl, you don't get a gift. Well, guess what? When it comes to grace, All of us have been naughty. None of us deserve a gift. We all deserve coal. But the grace of God has given us the gift, the unmerited favor of him. How do we get this gift? Well, I asked you to underline three words, Lord Jesus Christ. That's the how, end of verse two. We get it from the Lord Jesus. Within those three um, words are a name, one name, and two titles, Let's take it apart, the name Jesus. Jesus means, literally, he saves. He saves us from what? He saves us from our sin. That's what Jesus does. First title that's listed is Lord. I mean, this is so rich, there's so much, even in the introduction here that Paul gives us. Lord, it literally means master in the Greek language, that's what this was penned in. And then he says Christ, and Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah. Paul had heard about this Messiah as he was a little kid and then he met him in adulthood at the Damascus Road. He knew about this Jesus firsthand. Question, as we slow down and think about the grace of God, the unmerited favor, let me just ask you this, where would you be without it? Where would you be without this grace? I mean, for some of us, we'd be still working our way to heaven, so to speak, weighing the good and the bad. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us this. It says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Where would you be without grace? Well, for some of us, we'd be trying to get our act together, trying to make ourselves better, trying to positive think, PMA, and get things right on our own. Well, grace is what gets us Our act together. Look with me at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared in Jesus, bringing salvation. We know that. For all people, it's available. But look what it says next. Training us. What trains us? Grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What does it? Grace. Grace is training us. Grace is growing us. Grace gives us the confidence that where would you be without grace? Some are doubting in their eternal security, in their eternal standing, because they don't understand this grace. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, eliminates all doubts. Um, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you believe in Jesus? He says that you may know that you have eternal life, that you can know where you're gonna spend eternity and it starts now because of grace. It's truly amazing, is it not? This thing called grace. And so this is the first reason why, why I can have a good attitude despite the circumstances around me, the grace of God. Second reason is this, our partnership in the gospel. You're going to see it in a moment. You're going to see that phrase coming right out of the text at the end of verse 4. Let's start in verse 3. Paul does this. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. So he's thanking God for each of the individuals for the partnership. Look at verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He's praying because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's thanking them the partners.
1: You're listening to High Point with Ron Zapia. Today's message is called The Reason for Joy. You can request a copy of the complete unedited message when you call 844-HP-RADIO. High Point continues in just a moment with more from Pastor Ron.
2: Marriage, like a knot, has to be kept tight. Left to itself, it loosens over time and can completely unravel. Throughout the month of February, for a donation of any amount, we want to send you a brand new resource from Pastor Ron Zappia and his wife Jodi, their new book, The Marriage Knot. This highly practical book shares the seven choices that Ron and Jodi made to restore and enrich their own marriage. These are the seven choices that every couple needs to make to keep their marriage together. Ron and Jodi were on the brink of divorce. It was their first year of marriage and already things were falling apart. They desperately searched for anything that would help, and then suddenly everything changed. In their new book, The Marriage Knot, Pastor Ron and Jodi present seven transformative principles that saved their marriage. Full of wisdom, humor, and refreshing transparency, The Marriage Knot unpacks the seven choices that keep couples together. Give us a call at 844-HP-RADIO to receive your copy of Ron and Jodi Zappia's The Marriage Knot, or request this great resource online at highpointministries.com.
1: This is High Point with Ron Zappia. Ron's the pastor of High Point Church with campuses around the Chicagoland area. And our message today is from our series called Unexplainable Joy. You can stream the audio, watch the videos, or download the podcast for much more teaching completely for free at highpointministries.com. Now let's get back to today's message. Here's Ron.
0: How did this partnership begin with this Philippian church? Keep your fingers in Philippians, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Here's Paul's second missionary journey. This is how he started the church. Look with me at verse 11 of Acts chapter 16. And Paul had this vision. Maybe you're familiar with it. It was the Macedonian call or the Macedonian vision where he was heading in one place on this journey and then God redirected him. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. And so it says, setting sail from Troas... We, Paul included, made a direct voyage to Sam's place, excuse me, Sumatras, <laughs> and the following day to Neapolis. and From there to, what does it say at the middle of verse 12? Philippi. And so he wasn't heading there, but then he got redirected by the Lord, just like the Lord redirects us in the midst of our circumstance. And then it gives a little fact about the city. It says, which is a leading, leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. It was a Roman colony at that time. It hadn't been before. Philip seized the city three centuries earlier, but then now the Romans were in control. And so it says at the end of verse 12, we remained in this city for some days. Look up here for a moment. I'm going to give you a map so that we can check it out. This is where Paul was. He was over in Troas, and so um, he set sail. He was going to go to a different place, and he got all the way to Philippi. And this is the place where he started the church. Interesting though, Paul's mission or the way his strategy for starting churches was he would go to the synagogue. So he would get to a new city in Philippi and he'd go to a synagogue and he'd start preaching Jesus there. Now, to have a synagogue in your city, you had to have 10 Jewish males. And so that would form the synagogue. They didn't have that in Philippi, there was no synagogue. So Paul went to the women were gathered, and they were kind of all hanging out, and Paul did this. Paul went to them, and so the partnership started with the ladies, and that's how this church began. Look with me at Acts chapter 16. Let me show it to you. In verse 13, it makes it clear. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, so they were looking for one, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one of the women who heard us was a woman named Lydia. And she was from the city of Thyatira and a seller of purple goods. And look what it says. She was a worshiper of God. So she knew about God. She was a God-fearer. But look what happens next. It says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. He was preaching Jesus to her. And verse 15 said, after she was baptized in her household as well. So what happened? She believed she was baptized. Paul was talking about Jesus. Can we celebrate last weekend? We had 40, 48 people on all of our campuses who got baptized. Praise God. Awesome opportunity for a holiday weekend that the Lord opened up some hearts. I love this with Lydia. We see that God's doing the work and he's opening up the heart. So that's how this church began. That's the partnership that they had in the gospel. Turn back to Philippians with me now, and I want to show you this. I want to show you the reason why I hinted at it, but why Paul wrote this letter. Look at Philippians chapter 4 for a moment. I'm going to focus in on verse 14. and We see the reason he's very specific. As we study this letter this fall, look what he says. Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles, he's telling the Philippians. So he's thanking them. And he says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginnings of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Wow. So he was thanking them. Why? Because they had given and financially supported him. They not only gave their time, and their talents to the building of the church, but they gave their treasure. Let's do this for a moment. I'd like to model what the Apostle Paul does and thank those who have given so much for this local church. Allow me to reflect for a moment. I wanna show you a picture of, these are the people that started the church back in 2000. Handful of people got together and we said, hey, we wanna see a work happening in the western suburbs of Chicago, and we were sent out. We started at Glenbrow South High School. These were the people, and they were the ones who financially had a vision and began giving to support this vision of what happened. Back in 2007, we got into this main campus here at Naperville, and we bought this four-story office building. It was going through foreclosure, and the area around us now, if you drive into this campus, you see hotels and restaurants and all these things. None of that was like that. I mean, this was going through foreclosure. It was a dilapidated area. I mean, this building wasn't looking good at all. But a great group of people in the picture shows those who originally got started that what that they gave over and above. We raised $5 million so that we could purchase this building and that we could make it the space that it is now. I'm so thankful for who? For the over 800 members in our church now, those who are serving and giving financially. Can we give it up to the partners of the gospel for making this work be what it is today? So thankful. Thankful for those who have partnered with us in their time, their talents, and their treasure. What should we do with these partners? Well, let me do this. Let's go back to chapter 1, and I want to take a look at some of these verses, and I want to give you the main application that Paul's saying, because he's praying for the partner. And so I want us to pray for one another, to pray for the partners in the gospel. And so how can we pray for the partners in the gospel? Well, this is what I love about the Bible. Let's just pray what Paul prayed. I've got a list here, how to pray for partners in the gospel. The first thing is this, let's pray fervently. That's how Paul prayed. And that's what he said. Let's backtrack. He says, I thank God in all of my remembrance of you. And then look at verse four. He says, always in every prayer of mine. So what he's doing is he's praying fervently. He's praying constantly. He's constantly praying for the partners. And then how is he going to pray with them? In the text, he says, I'm praying for all of you, you all, making my prayer with joy. So we see Paul praying now individually, praying individually, probably by name, praying joyfully. It wasn't a burden for him. He wasn't going at it saying, hey man, I'm only gonna pray for the things my family needs or the things I want or the things. No, he prayed for what? His appreciation and love for the people who partnered together. Partnership of the gospel. And the affinity that he had for those people, just like we have affinity for those who partner together. And so how did he pray lastly? He prayed, pray insightfully. And pays clear attention and special note of that. Look with me at what it says in verse seven because he prayed insightfully for them. Let us pray in this way. He said, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Look at how much he cares for them. He says, for y'all are partakers with me of grace. There it is again. Both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. says in verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. There it is. So he's praying insightfully for them, for their love to abound with knowledge and with discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So what is he praying? Well, he's praying specifically for them that their love would abound and that would bring great maturity. May we do the same. May we pray for each other, pray for the partners in the gospel the same way that Paul prayed. Challenge you that we can pray for each other as we pray for the partnerships that we have in the gospel. Third reason why I can do this, why I can have a smile on my face despite the fact that things aren't going that great. That you know what, there's trouble, there's things I don't understand, there's difficulties that are happening, and maybe that's going on with you, whether it's a crisis or a situation that is out of control or out of your hand, family member or friend that is going through great difficulty. Let me give you the reason why you can have a smile on your face the hope of Jesus Christ. I mean, that says it all. It's the hope that we have in Christ. That's what Paul's talking about, that's what he's referencing. Now, hope in the Bible, let me say it like this it's much different in the Bible than it is in our English language. So, when we say hope in English, it's kind of like this. It's a little bit more of, it's kind of like say we say, Well, I hope the weather is going to be nice tomorrow. You live in Chicago. That could be a dream. It may not. It's an uncertainty. But in the Bible, when we talk about hope, and it's so much different, it's absolute certainty. It's what God said will come to pass. It's, hey man, bet the farm on it. This is absolute. This is, there's not too many sure things in this life. But when we see hope referenced in the Bible or something that is hoped for, I went around it. I didn't necessarily emphasize it. Look at verse six. He says, I am sure of this. Hey Paul, wow, he's got my attention. What are you sure of? Well, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Wow. So what is he saying is this, hey, what got started in you, what God started, he will be faithful to
1: finish. listening to High Point Ministries with Ron Zappia and a message called The Reason for Joy. If you missed any part of this message or would like to access our entire sermon series called Unexplainable Joy, visit us at highpointministries.com. Well, Ron, we all go through tough times. And I know that's true for all of us. But the reasons you listed here are the reasons that we can hold on to joy in the tough times. Isn't that right?
0: Yeah, it certainly is, Stephen. And, you know, if anyone had reason to complain and grumble, it was Paul. I mean, think about that for a moment. He was under house arrest. He'd suffered through beatings, a shipwreck, hunger. He could have used his imprisonment as an excuse to be bitter and resentful. And that's oftentimes what we do is it brings bitterness and resentment. But he didn't do it. We can't either. Why? Because he had the hope of the gospel. He knew nothing and no one could separate him from the love of God. And just like Paul, no matter what you're going through today, you can still have joy.
1: Well, Ron, thank you so much for that wisdom today. You're listening to High Point with Ron Zappia, and today's the start of a new study in the book of Philippians. If you ever miss a message in our Unexplainable Joy series, well, listen to them online at any time, on demand, completely for free. Go to High Point Ministries. Com. We provide these sermon series with the support of friends like you. And today's a great day to give back to this ministry because when you make a donation before the end of the month, you're going to receive a book written by both Ron and Jody Zappia. In fact, it's their brand new book called The Marriage Knot. It's sharing seven choices that keep couples together. Put these principles to work in your marriage for a lasting, loving, and joyful relationship. Call 844 477 Two three four six, or give online at highpointministries.com. You can also mail a check to High Point Ministries, P.O. Box 281, Naperville, Illinois 60566. Now, before we close up today's program, I want to invite you to High Point Church, where Ron serves as the senior pastor. We'd love to see you at one of our four campus locations in the greater Chicagoland area. For church locations and service times, go to highpointministries.com. I'm Steve Smith. Join us next time when Pastor Ron continues our study called Unexplainable Joy. Be listening Monday to High Point with Ron Zappia.